AEC Business, the construction industry's innovation and technology show. Hello and welcome to episode 130 of the AEC Business Podcast. My name is Arnie Heiskanen and Daniel Hall, Jarker Lessing and Jennifer White join me to discuss new business models for the construction industry. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. But before we start, i let you introduce yourselves. Uh, and perhaps, Daniel, you could start. Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Hall. I'm an assistant professor of innovative and industrial construction at ETH, uh, ETH Zurich in Switzerland. And I'm uh, Jarko Lessing. I'm uh, working as research and development director of Bukluk, housing company in Sweden, industrial, using industrialized construction principles. And I'm also an adjunct professor at Stanford University in the U.S., teaching industrialized construction and, and uh, doing some research and organizing conferences and so on. So working with industrialized construction, that's the summary. And um, hi, everyone. I'm professor of project management at the University of Sydney, um, where I'm head of school and director of the John Grill Institute for Project Leadership. Um, I'm also um, a professor of systems integration at Imperial College London, uh, where I was involved in the transforming construction agenda um, in the UK. Uh, you three co-wrote an article titled New Business Models for, Constru- uh, for Industrialized Construction, for a new Springer book titled Industry 4.0 for the Built Environment. Um, it's always, I'm always curious to know what's, what your definition of Industry 4.0 is and how is it applic- applicable to the construction sector? Yeah, I can give a short overview and the others can maybe jump in as well. I mean, uh, broadly, I mean, Industry 4.0 was a very broad uh, way of describing the change we're seeing in manufacturing where we're seeing um, integrated uh, Internet of Things, uh, cloud computing, AI, all kinds of new technologies enter into the manufacturing sector. Now, in the built environment, we're also seeing a lot of interest in kind of understanding and adapting from this Industry 4.0 approach. And so we have a lot of emerging ideas around the concepts like digital twin, um, sensors, uh, AI, and how it applies in the built environment, which I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. Um, and uh, to, to us, the question is, um, how is Industry 4.0 going to come into the built environment? What does it mean for the practitioner today? And that's where um, the, the overall theme of the book has, has been um, thinking about the, the kind of methodologies, technologies, and the skills that, that are needed. Um, but there's no one definition of, of Industry 4.0, so maybe my co-authors have different uh, insights here. No, I, I completely agree, uh, and and uh, our sort of view on it is that industrialized construction companies, with the wide variety of of applications that also is, uh, that kind of companies have uh, really good preconditions to to adapt to this and and also add to the understanding and and uh, yeah, push the knowledge forward uh, in this space as well. But we'll come into that during our talk. I mean, what the ingredients and, and key parts of uh, what that uh, could be. Jennifer, do you have something to add? 
Yeah, I mean, just to just to say that I think it's changing the deliverables of projects because as they're delivering digital information um, as well as physical products, it's really um, changing the way that 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 manufacturing is done, but also what they're delivering. Yes, and and another concept that uh, some people often ask about is the business model. You define a business model uh, as uh, as something that explains the logic of the firm, the way it operates and how it creates value for its stakeholders. And the traditional and still dominant business models in construction are centered on the delivery of unique projects. Um, what's wrong with these models that seem to generate trillions of dollars still uh, and uh, but but what's wrong with these models and how have companies tried to overcome these uh, challenges yeah maybe i'll take a start at that and then we can we can hear from the others as well um i mean the first to say there's nothing wrong with using projects to, to deliver um to deliver in construction um, uh, per se. There's there's a lot of advantages of project organizing um, and it can go a really long way, especially when you have highly complex one-off types of, of construction efforts. Um, where we see the challenge is when you start to introduce the opportunities of Industry 4.0, you start to introduce digital manufacturing and you start to introduce some of these um, types of, of, of efforts that require a bit more coordination um, and a bit more integration between uh, um, systems, um, there can be alternative ways to, to use, to organize your business model, especially for more repetitive types of delivery, like housing and other types of, of things that could be considered as a, as a product. Um, so what we're seeing is in some parts of construction, the shift from project-based thinking to, pro to product-based thinking. Now, um, I will say that uh, the, the key advantage of this type of approach is dealing with what we call the longitudinal or long-term fragmentation, where even if you have the best project team and everyone coordinates and works together in the best way, by nature, a project has a very defined start point and finish time. And so when the project is done, the team will just you know, break apart and go work on the next project. Um, and this type of, of kind of forming and breaking apart into unique projects uh, kind of uh, hinders the adoption of, of kind of uh, systems for manufacturing, systems for industrialization. And so this can be one of the challenges if you're trying to industrialize. So you, you are not just able to glue something new on, on top of existing processes, but you really have to start rethinking about how, how you, what your model actually is. Do you have something to add, uh, my other guests? Well, I, I think maybe one, one um, aspect that could uh, be added in, in terms of what other companies have tried to, to do here is to, as, as Daniel mentions, um, to combine the project orientation of our industry and, and of their uh, business. They have tried to combine that with a much more uh, uh, continuous uh, process in terms of uh, setting up uh, like a product platform and also uh, a process platform to establish continuity in between and or overarching the, the projects. And in that way, increasing 
increasing uh, the knowledge flow between the projects and beyond, and in that way, capturing uh, experience and knowledge and, and so on to, to reinforce the coming projects. And that's, that's something that we see in, in, uh, in companies trying to, to sort of challenge and, and work with, uh, with slightly new dif- uh, business models in, in this sense. So, so we'll come back to that, I think. And, and uh, yeah, so that's something that we, we see is very interesting as a development here. We have mentioned industrialized construction, and we often refer to uh, it as prefabrication, modular construction, and other things that are now becoming more popular, for example, in the USA. In Finland here, for example, we have been doing uh, a, a prefabrication uh, for ages, over 50 years now. But uh, does Industry 4.0 somehow extend the concept of, of industrialization? I would say actually this, um, the key difference here is that, uh, and what we really are thinking about also is creating a, a link to digital manufacturing. And in fact, it was early in this work, I talked with Jennifer and we, we settled on kind of thinking about this in terms of how do we enable digital manufacturing? Um, so that's one thing to point out. So um, when we think about industry 4.0, in the built environment, we're really talking about a connection between digital design and using that to drive digital manufacturing in such a way. So there's a link between design and fabrication. Um, And that of course is is a technological challenge, but it's also an organizational challenge because you need to find ways to avoid the traditional fragmentation and um, data losses that occur in handover between design and construction. Um, And this is really important. You look at some of the things that, for example, Bocluc tries to do to create process continuity. Um, uh, And then we think in the future, we're going to see much more digital manufacturing come about. Um, And uh, then I would say on the other side, I'll let Jörker speak a bit about um, how industrialized construction is a much more holistic concept than just, uh, um, um, let's say, uh, prefabrication and, and volumetric modular construction. Yeah, uh, I think a, a much more uh, a broader view of of industrialization is to see this as as Daniel mentions as a holistic uh, from a holistic view, uh, where production aspects, say uh, prefabrication, which has a lot of uh, promises and a lot of advantages, absolutely, but it we have. We have tried it the last, uh, absolutely, for the last 50 years in the industry, and we still struggle with, with many problems. So obviously, prefabrication alone was not the answer. So what we see is that we, we have to take one or two steps back and see this uh, from a holistic level and see that when we create uh, continuous uh, concepts or or systems, we need to include also the design part as we have talked about, like uh, technical building systems or product platforms. We need to take, uh, include also logistics. We need to have the digital aspect, of course. We, We really need to have a deep customer and market understanding to really, uh, craft our uh, business model, our, our offer to the, to the market. Uh, 
according to the needs and the wishes from from uh, from customers and the market uh, and we really need to think in a long term perspective here and have long term uh, relations with our customers, with our partners, with our suppliers, and in that sense, create an extended network of, uh, of the, the production system to work continuously and where we can help each other to, to continuously improve and make this better. And in this way, we create uh, a production system that will work over time, far beyond the singular uh, project, and because of that, we also need this company, this network of companies working together. Uh, we need to have a scope. We need to specialize in some way, choosing a customer segment, choosing a certain uh, technical system, choosing your uh, production method, because it's really, really hard to, to specialize and still offer anything to anyone anywhere then it's really hard to be, to be an expert. Uh, so, so that's an, an important part to specialize and then set up a production product and production system as I described from a holistic, uh, from a holistic view. So, but uh, Jennifer, I'm sure you, you can add a little to this view as well. Yeah, if I just add a little bit to why is industrialized construction different today than it was, you know, over the last 50 years. And I think digital is really a strong part of that. So, you know, the the and I think it is shifting where innovation is happening in the sector. So it's allowing this innovation at this kind of platform level. And it's changing how the manufacturing part of the industry connects with the complex product part of the industry. And so even on very complex projects. I think there's opportunities to standardize, use a kit of parts, use more manufacturing approaches. And that's really where the excitement is. And it's part of you know, the conversation we were having as we were putting this chapter together. You mentioned in the book three new industrialized business models that are emerging or already existing in the construction industry, uh, namely um, vertical integration, digital systems integration and spin-off factories. Perhaps we could talk a little bit more about these three uh, concepts. Um, perhaps first, uh, Jarker, you would, you're a specialist in vertical integration, I guess. Yeah, to, to some extent, since uh, Bookloop, the company I work for, is, is, an, uh, is a good example of vertical integration. And with that, we mean... Uh, creating a product and production system, as I just mentioned. And in this way, uh, or to achieve that, one way is to, to create a vertical integration uh, where one company controls as much as possible of, uh, of the value process, you could say. So in our case, we control uh, we, we start already from land acquisition because we are the project developer, but we, we don't just uh, do that. <laughs> we also control the product development. So we have uh, developed uh, products uh, as we call it. It's, it's a product platform from which we configure the, the building projects. Uh, 
but we also control the manufacturing. So we have our own factory in which we produce only uh, modules for our own uh, projects. And then we control uh, the construction sites as well with our own staff uh, managing uh, the sites to, to really make the final assembly of the modules and, and doing the complementing work. And then we actually do the sales. We control and, and manage the sales of, of our homes, ourselves, uh, and handing over uh, to the, our customers and also dealing with uh, aftercare and so on. So in this way, we have lined up the whole process from start to finish, and we control it. We don't do exactly everything. Of course, we have subcontractors and we have suppliers and so on, but we uh, we have decided, we have designed, and we manage uh, the whole process. And in that sense, we can optimize our processes. We have optimized our structures. We have optimized the manufacturing and the handover or delivery from the factory to the sites and so on. So we have really try to put this into a very tight process from start to end. And not least, in this way, we also sort of own uh, the, the, the knowledge and the experience, and we can make use of that in all parts of the process because we work uh, really hard with, with the, uh, continuous improvements. And the fuel for that is, of course, knowledge and experience from the processes. So that's, uh, I think, uh, an example of how vertical in integration can look like. And then there are, of course, other versions of that. But that's, that's one example. Yeah, and you have been doing it for many years. And it's also here in, in Finland. <laughs> that's, that's correct. So Bukluk, our, uh, our journey started already in 1996. So we have we have uh, we have done this for a long time, and we have we have built uh, more than fourteen thousand homes, I think, in with this model. It's so it's a very successful concept for us. It's been very uh, very important, I think, for our success to have this uh, tight grip of the whole process. Uh, not least since it includes some innovations in terms of building with modules, building with wood, and so on, and since we we didn't we, we chose this model we didn't have to convince so many other stakeholders but ourselves to do this to building wood was very new uh, 25 years ago uh, to build in in a factory was very very new uh, and so on and and uh, it would have been a, a very very difficult struggle i think if we had to convince external clients in every project uh, to to work according to this model but since we 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 deal with it ourselves that has been super successful yeah unlike some companies in the usa yeah 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 we we have seen we we see some attempts now and then uh, not least a very very big and bold attempt with katera the the latest years super interesting but some parts of, of their recipe uh, was, was not working out. But that's a slightly different discussion, maybe. The second one I, I mentioned was digital systems integration. And perhaps, Jennifer, you could talk a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, so we're observing um, some firms in the US and elsewhere, and in the book we use Project Frog as an example, um, that are that are you really using digital systems as a way of creating integration. So they're using the digital platform to create um, a virtual enterprise, if you like, and they're um, engaging in, in a more open form of innovation where they're, they're perhaps not having their own factory and uh, outsourcing some of the manufacturing, but, but really owning that, that digital piece. And this is a model that... Um, that a doctoral student of mine, Alexander Joe, has been working with myself and Daniel to, to understand and explore. Um, and it's very much based on the potential for digital information to bring people together um, and to bring systems, to put systems in place that people can work on across organizational boundaries. Um, and I'm going to hand over to Daniel if he wants to say more about the Project Frog um, example. Yeah, I can just say, I mean, what's really interesting about Project Frog, and, and we're seeing this model also replicates. Um, I, actually, Yerker and I were just in California in, uh, or, or I was in, sorry, Yerker, you were not there. Um, uh, I was in California in February, and we had three companies who were all also using this new business model. Um, but what they do is they try to co-create um, the, the different components. They, they modularize, not in a volumetric modular way, but in a sense of kind of classic modularization of the system um, between components or, or panels or, or whatever it is. And then they try to outsource the manufacturing. Um, and what Project Frog did is then um, created kind of an online configurator um, that would match with the capabilities of, the, um, uh, of their supply chain. And it was the first configurator I saw, which was back in 2015 or 16 when they first put this out there. Um, and it was a very useful design tool to link the different, uh, to link the manufacturing constraints with the design um, choices that you make. Um, now, the challenge I see for this digital systems integration, which Yerker also pointed out, is that you have to still co-create. You still have to take some time and make sure your supply chain is organized. Um, and you can't be so fast to say, we are gonna go with wood and timber and we're gonna innovate and we're gonna drive this forward. You have to make sure everyone in the network is along for the ride. Um, but the advantage is that you're very capital light. So you don't own a factory, you become what's called, what was actually we're hearing it called a lot like the, the orchestrator is one, is one way of describing it, where you are now orchestrating the product platform and maintaining the continuity between projects as Yerker mentioned, but um, you're no longer, the, you're no longer um, investing in, in a factory, which can be very um, uh, risky. I don't know, Jennifer, if, if you want to add on to that at the end as well. Yeah, yeah I just want to add that, that, you, that we're seeing that model being used by a number of companies in the UK. So companies like Bryden Wood are also using this kind of model where they're, 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 they're developing the digital system as a way of um, gaining value out of this new, new approach. So would this um, mean that perhaps we wouldn't need, in some cases, a, a, a huge construction general contractor uh, type of uh, player anymore i mean i think i think these new business models are challenging the traditional divisions um, that we've had in the sector and so we do see 
consultants changing roles, we see contractors changing roles, um, we see um, an interest uh, in, in taking that systems integrator role, if you like, so being managing the kit of parts and managing the product configurator. Um, and I think the traditional ways that we've divided up what different companies do become less and less relevant. Well, um, spin-off factories, that was our the third model. Yeah, I can take this one. Um, I would say, you know, speaking of the, the kind of traditional general contractor role, this is, we, we were looking to try to explain how are they approaching industrialized construction. And for them to go from a uh, general contractor to a fully vertically integrated company, it's really asking far too much for most general contractors, I would say. Um, it's very incompatible with their existing models. So they'd have to really reframe. Um, and a lot of, we see a lot of interest in the, in the kind of systems integration. Um, and some contractors are interested in this, but what, I, what we observed, especially I would say in, in, in the last three, four years um, in the US, uh, especially where I, I, where I was based at the time, um, was the emergence of these spin-off factories. Um, and we use the example of digital building components, DBC in the, in the, in the book chapter. Um, this was a spin-off from a company called DPR Construction, who's been one of the more successful um, construction firms on the West Coast of the US. Um, they now expanded internationally. They really are very well known for coordinating building information models and uh, being very um, uh, kind of progressive with their integration and, and project delivery models. And uh, they started getting interested in industrialized construction um, and digital manufacturing. Um, but they realized that this was not something that was going to fit within their core business model, um, which was to deliver projects. Uh, they, re they recognized the need to set up new processes and um, kind of uh, uh, somehow create this new supply chain. So what they did is they, they had an, a, a seed funding mechanism where they actually provided some funding and then they, they, it was, uh, there was other funding to kind of spin out this company called Digital Building Components. And I think this was really interesting because this was not something that was kind of a new division within or a new branch within DPR construction, but it was a sister company or a spin out company um, and that could sell directly to DPR. So they could then provide their prefabricated panels and, and other things uh, directly to DPR projects, but also sell to competitors as well. Um, and this was a really interesting business model for a traditional company to kind of get into the game of, of manufacturing. Um, now, I, I would say there are some disadvantages that we saw. It does still rely a lot on a project by project uh, basis because they, that is the logic which, which dominates the, the company. Um, and so there can be some continuity in kind of turning over the processes. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're using it as this kind of really great opportunity to learn about industrialized construction without having to completely overhaul their existing very successful business. Um, and so um, it seems to be an, a very nice strategic approach. And we've seen similar approaches in other companies, sometimes within the company to create a new division. Um, but I think we will see other types of these spin-outs uh, coming in the future. And speaking of spin-offs and, and, <laughs> and other uh, ideas, uh, construction tech startups got a rec record amount of funding in, uh, in 2021 around $4.5 billion, triple the amount uh, of money invested in a, a year before. And um, many startups claim that they can disrupt or revolutionize the industry, as, at least uh, in their press releases. Uh, what, what do you think is the role of startups and uh, how realistically can they actually change the industry? 
Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah no, I, I just want to say that I think startups is uh, great because it's it's uh, it's a, it's a, an army of challengers that can push the industry in in into uh, more innovation and and development. So that's excellent, I think. And uh, let's also remember that all companies have started at some point. All companies have been startups in some sense. So who knows? But what we have also learned, I think, uh, not least the last five years with with following uh, Katera pretty closely, that was a startup five years ago, uh, but they don't exist anymore. They had a lot of, um, uh, there was a lot of promises, it, a super exciting journey that we could see. But what we can learn is also that uh, really, really uh, big changes takes time. Uh, and it requires time actually to, to get it right. And, and because it's not only the company itself that can create something new, in construction, it's such a big network around a construction or building company. Uh, you have to deal with legislation and and laws and and uh, I mean the permitting uh, processes in in cities and regions and so on. Uh, and of course, the whole the whole more like uh, what do you call it like physical aspect of it with suppliers and subcontractors the whole network in to some extent needs to change and that takes a lot of time so so i think that's a learning uh, change is great we really really need it uh, sometimes we need to consider also the pace okay so in what pace can we actually uh, think that we will uh, change uh, so that's that's at least uh, one little uh, take uh, on that. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree. I mean, I think they are pushing um, the major companies in construction to to innovate, um, and that's around the world. So we've been doing work with the Building and Construction Authority in Singapore with some of their major. Um, construction players, you know, they're, they're think, looking very hard at what's going on and also upskilling and they're already um, leading in some of the areas of, uh, of industrialised construction. Um, also in the UK, you know, trying to foster a, um, a set of startups that can do things like project analytics um, and bring innovation into the kinds of ways that we think about industrialised construction. But also I think the incumbents have a role to play. So this is, I don't think that this is going to be a disruptive innovation in quite the way that Clayton Christensen talks about. I think this is um, the challenge of systemic innovation and I know Daniel's done some work on this challenge of how do you get all of the parties to change at the same time and I think these um, the ambition of these startups is great and uh, you know, has a role to play in that particularly around the digital space so I think they bring some really new innovative ideas around digital. Maybe I'll just add my 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 piece as uh, someone who was uh, from California and did a PhD at Stanford and was very embedded in the startup scene. Um, and I, I completely agree with what's been said. I think the um, the question around startups is interesting because 
um, as I've thought more about things like Terra and, and there's been a really amount, there's been a huge amount of investment funding in, in AEC, in the construction sector overall, and a lot of funding for specifically kind of industrialized construction startups and manufacturing companies. And even post Katera, that only seems in the US to be accelerating. So the US really uses this startup model. But I saw also, you know, a similar company coming from Berlin recently. We have examples in Switzerland. There are a lot of startups happening all over, all over the place right now. Um, one thing we've been growing to question um, is uh, the, the traditional kind of startup model says you get venture funding, um, you create a software product in most cases, um, and you look to kind of an exit in seven years. And this is what is kind of demanded by the venture, the venture funding model. Um, and as Yerker, I think, points out, and, and as we kind of all know, things do not happen that quickly in construction. Um, and we, we have, a new PhD, have a new PhD researcher who were specifically looking at kind of the negative sides of such an accelerator um, mindset. And this is specifically working on um, robotics and digital fabrication and construction. So really pushing forward industry 4.0. Um, do we need to question what is the kind of startup or venture funding model that works best for, for AEC? And I would question that, you know, for the software space, we have lots of successful examples of, of construction software startups, and those should follow probably the, the kind of traditional model of, of venture funding and investment. Um, but when we talk about manufacturing and industry 4.0 and start thinking about the legal and liability assets around construction and all of these questions around robotics, um, I think we're going to need to figure out a new kind of funding model. It's clear that venture is interested in construction. It's clear investors are interested in construction, see it as a really big space. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's somehow we need to offer new, new kind of uh, growth models that don't kind of say grow at all costs uh, as fast as you can and scale up because there's a lot of things that need to be thought through in, in, in construction. So um, I think there's some research to be done there and uh, something that we're very interested in, in exploring in the future. Well, I think that that is a good uh, conclusion of our our, our discussion here, um, and um, perhaps uh, finally, uh, because you all all are <laughs> part of this book project, how can our listeners find the book and buy it? Yeah, it's um, it's available from the publisher Springer, so you can uh, you can find it. It's called Industry 4.0 for the Built Environment. Methodologies, technologies, and skills. Um, I also saw that it is on Amazon, so you can find it there and uh, find both the hardcover and a digital copy. And finally, I would add um, for those that are more in the academic space, the book chapter was based on a journal article that the three of us published in uh, Construction Management and Economics. Um, so you can also find our paper um, if you want a more kind of academic view on it. It's called Mirror Breaking Strategies to Enable Digital Manufacturing in Silicon Valley Construction Firms, a Comparative Case Study. Um, and uh, if you like the dense academic reading, that one might be for you. Um, the, the book chapter is much more accessible to a broader audience. Well, Jennifer, Jarker and Daniel, thank you very much for this opportunity. And I hope to see you in person soon. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to this podcast and visit aec-business.com, the award-winning blog, for more news and stories.
Thanks, uh, Jennifer, Jarker, and Daniel for this opportunity, and hope to see you in person soon.